You're listening to the Mountain Woman Radio Show, which can be found on our website at treyerwilderness.com and also on iTunes. Welcome to the Mountain Woman Radio Show, where we are homesteading traditionally 100% off-grid today and offering preparedness and survival tips for tomorrow. Here's your host, Tammy Treyer. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at Mountain Woman Radio. Today, I have a wonderful guest joining me, someone that I'm extremely honored to have on our show, and also at the same time, very excited for you because he is a wealth of information, and I want you guys to turn your hearing on and listen to what this man has to share because he is uh, pioneering and making a huge doorway for us all to continue to have good quality food in this country, which is something that is diminishing quickly. And I really, I really want you to spread the word. So be sure to share this podcast with as many people as you can. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Joel Salatin. He is an author, a multi-author, let me tell you. He's written many, many books. And he is also um, managing polyfacefarms.com along with his family. And he has just an amazing story. So I will let him share that with you. Welcome, Joel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tammy. It's really an honor and a delight to be with you and chat with your audience. So our family came uh, here to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia in 1961. I was just four years old, uh, so you can do the math there and see that I'm 60. <laughs> and um, and we, we came here after losing a farm in a junta in Venezuela, South America. My dad and mom were both Midwesterners. Dad always wanted a farm. How do you start a farm when you're a poor Midwestern boy with no you know, experience and no money, and so he went as a bilingual accountant after World War II with Texas Oil Company to Venezuela, saved for seven years, bought a thousand-acre farm in Venezuela's highlands, started raising chickens. We were going to have broilers and dairy, and uh, we're up and running, and it was going great. He had these two little boys that were coming on, um, and then we got caught in a junta, uh, a, a coup, and we basically fled the back doors. The machine guns came in the front door wow. and lost everything, and uh, there was no state for a couple of months meeting with, you know, very, very high government officials trying to get protection and stay, and uh, everything was in disarray and collapsing, and so there was nothing to do but just to walk away from it and, and leave it. And so we did that, uh, came back, and we looked at farms within a day's drive of D.C., and uh, found the, the cheapest, most gullied, worn-out rock pile that there was. <laughs> and uh, that's where we, that's where we uh, ended up settling here near Stanton. And so <clears throat> um, and at the beginning, Dad brought in consultants. How do you make a living on this farm? 
And uh, every consultant said, plant corn, build silos, borrow more money, graze the woodlands, uh, you know, all that. And Dad's, you know, environmental understanding um, meant that, you know, those were unacceptable. And it was the same advice, both public and private advice. And uh, But what he was hearing was the orthodoxy. His dad, my grandfather, has been a, had been a charter subscriber to... Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming magazine when it first started in 1949. So mm. we had this wonderful uh, environmental uh, legacy, brought his economics to it, and he saw the whole chemical industrial farming uh, uh, concept as a as a great big drug addiction. You had to you know get more and more toxic stuff to get the same kick. It got more expensive every year, so it was this you're, you know, you're yeah. just chasing your tail all the time trying to get ahead. Yeah. And so, um, so we went a totally different course, and he started looking at natural templates and um, especially infrastructure and control and marketing. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you make a living as a small farm? And realized early on that we couldn't compete on a commodity basis. We had to direct market. So, um, so at, at, at about you know twelve years old, I started manning a. A stand down at the curb market, which was kind of the precursor of today's farmers markets. Okay. It was a depression era leftover where farmers could go to town with their products and get cash um, from people in the urban sector. Okay. And so I cut my teeth uh, doing that. Started my chickens when I was ten. My okay. brother had rabbits. We had garden. We milked a couple of cows. We made made yogurt, butter, buttermilk, um, uh, cottage cheese. And we, you know, we butchered cows in the field and sold big, you know, round steaks and fresh beef and pork. And I sold my chicken down there. Uh, this was, you know, early 70s, right on the cusp of the whole, you know, um, the beaded, bearded, braless environmental movement. Yeah. And, uh, and we were a little bit ahead of our time. And um, so when I went to college, I shut the stand down. And uh, by the time I came back, the, that market was gone. It had gotten down to two, two elderly grandmothers and me. And um, mm -hmm. I think I, I, my youthful energy kept it open for a couple of years, and then it closed. Mm -hmm. And I uh, came back from, from college and uh, kind of started over and uh, started building up a client base. And um, September 24, 1982, came back to the farm full time. It was uh, by that time mom and dad's off-farm jobs had paid for it. It took about a decade with the off-farm jobs, saving and scripting every penny to pay for the farm. So the land was paid for, we were out of debt. I didn't have any debt. And um, and so Teresa and I were able to, uh, my wife, we got married in, uh, in 1980 and we were able then two years later to come back to the farm full-time, living in the attic, driving a $50 car, uh, <laughs> eating only what we grew. If we, didn't, you know, if we didn't grow it, we didn't eat it. We didn't have a TV, still don't. Yep. Um, and and uh, dedicated ourselves to, to, to things here. And, um, and it, was, it was tight, but uh, we didn't have many expenses, even though we didn't have much income. And we were able to squeak by a couple, three, four years until we started seeing things make a turnaround and uh and then it just it just uh went up from there that's such a fantastic story and i i am reading your book right now uh folks this ain't normal and um i just i i love your way of life we are uh basically on the same page searching for that wholesome side of life 
in a modern crazy world. We we don't have a TV either. And I in your book you mentioned about um, everybody wondering what you could possibly do if you don't have a TV. And it, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> uh, people limit themselves so much. I tell you, and I know you know it as well. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So you know the. the the early the early part of the farm was in just we, we had to we had to build soil and then stop erosion. We had we had gullies, the deepest one measured sixteen feet deep. Wow. Uh we had large large uh, rock areas. We we had so little soil that we couldn't hold up electric fence stakes and it doesn't take much soil wow. to hold up an electric fence stake. So no. dad poured <laughs> dad poured concrete in uh, in used car tires, pushed a half inch pipe one straight up and down and one on a little bit of an angle. And when we build electric fence, he'd pile these uh, concrete tires on a tractor platform, drive slow. And my brother, I was, you know, six, eight years old, and we could get on both of us on one edge of one of these concrete tires and kind of, you know, you know, pick it up enough to tip it, tip it off that platform, and he'd go along and stick electric fence stakes in it. Wow. That's how we built electric fence. Now all those areas have 12 inches of topsoil on them, awesome. and you know that's that's uh, one of the you know, joys of my life to know that that we've 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 built soil on those areas. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, talk about perseverance and sweat and blood into things. Oh my goodness, that's I just I love your story. That's why I wanted you to share that today because you know it's it's a rough road getting a farm together. So as it is, but then to also deal, I'm sure, with the politics and and government that have been trying to put a noose around farmers' necks, I'm sure that has been absolutely outrageously tough for you guys as well. Well, sure. You know, my first, from people have asked me, you know, when did you know you wanted to be a farmer? And I don't remember a day in my life when I didn't want to be a farmer. As, as the littlest child, you know, I... And my grandfather, I mentioned him already, he was a charter subscriber to Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming Magazine. He was up in Indiana. So here we were on this real hard scrabble farm here in Virginia that has been eroded out wazoo. (laughs) And we'd go up, you know, once a year to visit Grandma and Grandpa in Indiana. He had like a a quarter-acre garden, which, you know, that's a really big personal garden. And uh, he had an octagonal chicken house, honeybees, uh, uh, berries, and of course we... We could only go up there after you know hay season, so it was always late in late in the summer. And the the grapevines, he had these tea trellis grapevines uh, <laughs> all around this quarter acre uh, garden, always ripe. When we went up, and they were just hanging. Of course, I was a child, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and I could just barely you know reach up and grab these <laughs> these dangling clusters of grapes, and it just seemed like. No, if I went up there now, they probably weren't longer than, you know, 50 feet on a side. But to me, it seemed like a mile, you know, and, and just, and, and as I look back on it as an adult, you know, a lot of times things happen as a child and you don't, you don't appreciate the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the profoundness of it until later in life. And you look back and you start seeing, you know, these little, you know, uh, um, epiphanal moments and, and that, that was it is, is. We'd go up, you know, we'd, we'd chop thistles here. we you know, weeds and rocks and, and clay, you know, yep. bricks in the garden. And, <laughs> and we'd go up there, and it was just this abundance, this just yeah. this this. abundance. And, and I think as a child, 
wanting that for me, wanting to be able to walk out the back door like Grandpa did, walk out the back door into a nest of abundance. Yes. Uh, this, 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 this creator's provision, you know, of, of, of not just enough, but oodles, you know, yeah. enough for the bees, enough for, the, you know, everybody. Yeah. And, and um, it, ne- it never left me, you know, I, 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 I and I still, I, I'm like a little kid. I'm like a little kid on that, you know, just the, the effusiveness of being able to walk out and, and know not only that I'm walking into that abundance, but also to know the, I mean, it, it brings me to tears to, to know that I can tack, you know, tactily and viscerally with my hands and my brain, I can, I can physically participate in the caress that brings that abundance. Yep, for sure. That, that's a that's a powerful that's a powerful thought. It's amazing. It's amazing. And reading what you've done to your farm is is just incredible. And I totally get it with the grapes. My grandfather had grapevines, and their whole fenced-in property was nothing but garden. He grew peanuts. And I didn't, you know, like you said, you don't realize until later in life how much that has affected you. My grandparents were not only who instilled faith in me and my strong faith, but also my desire to live more off the land. So I totally get that. And and so many people miss that and miss the opportunity to to gain as much information as they can from their grandparents, great grandparents. I, I wish I wish now as an adult I could just sit down with them and just tap their brains, you know. But my grandparents are gone, and and I want to encourage everybody out there to sit down with your grandparents and great grandparents and and just gather as much information as you can. But Joel, you you did so much to your place. Share share with the audience what you've done with your ponds and the different means of uh, just getting your your property to uh, where it is today. <laughs> well, it's a it's a multifaceted effort uh, for sure. It starts with the soil, obviously. If you don't have soil, you can't grow very much. Right. And so uh, early on, uh, I remember. You know, uh, going out with Dad. I mean, routinely, and we'd we'd cut brush and sticks and place them in the bottom of these gullies to slow the water down, and that trapped leaves and twigs and things. And then you'd get these little terraces, you know, in the bottom of the gullies where you place little obstructions, even a even a little uh, a row of rocks. You know, you could take a take a row of rocks yep. and just throw them into the bottom of a of a gully like that. And my lands in in one year, you'd have this little you know, twelve-inch terrace, and it would grow grass. And and mm-hmm. to, to to watch this this change, we had broom sedge, thistles. I mean, as a kid, every every single day of the summer when we were out of school, uh, my brother and I had to spend one hour every single day chopping thistles. <laughs> and um, of course, you know, I, I've had this storytelling gift of gab ever since I was a little kid, and uh, so. Uh, you know, I'd go out there, of course, bore him to death, you know, but I'd go out, and the whole time we're chopping thistles, I would I would do this narrative of, of it's the Salatin brothers against the thistle nation, you know, and and, and uh, we're, we're, we're going around the right flank, and we're going to cut them off at the pass, you know, and, and um, for me, it was just a way to turn something that would otherwise be drudgery into a grand adventure, you exactly. know. Exactly. And... Vanquished, vanquished that thistle nation, and now you know you can hardly find any on the place. 
and, and these fields of thistles, broom sedge, and hawkweed mm-hmm. uh, started started to turn into, you know, clover and uh, and, and thick grass. And, uh, and, and, you know, what couldn't support 10 cows back then now supports 100 cows, and we haven't planted a seed or bought a bag of chemical fertilizer in 60 years. Yeah. And so... Uh, that was the transformation that occurred. So, so it was for, it was built. How do you build soil? Well, we go to perennials. Uh, so we went to grasses. And uh, Dad early on found out about this this managed controlled grazing, you know, where we move the cows all the time. So, okay. you know, we didn't do that early on. I mean, he, he he developed an electric fencing system that was portable, so we could move them like you know once every ten or fourteen days. So we we started doing that really early, like in the early '60s, okay. and then it gradually got more and more and more. But it was not until one of my summers back from college in uh, in the in the mid to late '70s that I spent in August and I hand put in something like 250 uh, little fence posts. These weren't big fence posts; these were little fence posts, okay. uh, something you know, just four feet tall that could that could carry a single electric fence, okay. and essentially created our. Our, our permanent electric fence grid. And once we had that in, then we could start moving the cows every day because we had this permanent grid in. Nice. And, uh, boy, that, that really revolutionized things. And, uh, and then we started, we started doing the, uh, the composting with the hay. The hay, we, we got a chipper, okay. and we began chipping our wood chips yep. and uh, started composting with that. And then later on, after Dad had passed away, I added... I added uh, uh, composting with the pigs, doing it with the pigs to, to turn the to turn the bedding to yep. aerate it, so I didn't have to do that with a machinery or anything. Okay. And um, and so we started, you know, putting on all this uh, compost, and with the animals moving, and then the chickens came along. And chickens, I mean, if you want to paint something green, just run <laughs> chickens across it, you know. <laughs> and so the, the the chickens started started adding all that to it, and um, and the the combination of these things, of the animal movement, yeah. the perennials, and the composting, the carbon, uh, the carbon cycling, yeah. uh, all those things, it, it just you know, and and then and plus time, plus yeah. time, yeah. Uh, it is, it has completely changed it. I believe it. I believe it, and that's so so awesome, and. Um just so amazing to put it all into place. And like you said, it does take time, but as you progressively go through it and, and add all these components, I can just, I can just picture your, your place. It's just so beautiful and green and the thistles. I totally hear you on the thistles. Thistles are hard to get rid of. So the fact that you guys, um, were out there and I love that you were doing that because that is, I always think we're crazy. We're out here either talking to ourselves while we're working or we're, we're doing that as well. My husband tells and sings some of the best crazy songs and stories. <laughs> so I totally uh-huh. get that. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think a lot of that kind of, uh, you know, that, that self-entertainment, I mean, we don't, our, our culture today, you pay for entertainment, right? I mean, the yeah. whole uh, entertainment deal and, it's not, it's unfortunate that well as Ralph Waldo or um, David Thoreau I think said uh, uh, that 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 most people live a life of quiet desperation yeah. and um, I think now we've added to the quiet desperation also frenzied hurried and harried yes. and and the, the result of that is that there's no bandwidth left <laughs> for for personal creativity yeah. 
And so what we do for recreation, entertainment, and to, what, to unwind, we have to pay professionals to do that for us. So we have to go places yep. or get Netflix or, you know, or the Kardashians or Hollywood celebrity culture yep. or, you know, the, the Mud Run or hike Mount Everest, whatever. But, um, yep. you know, as if, as if everything that soothes our soul has to come from outside instead of welling up from inside yep. as as a... Uh, almost as a, as a symphony of appreciation for our vocational work, for the sacredness of our vocational work. Right now, 80% of Americans hate their job. Yep. yep. And for a, you know, for a culture that's supposedly as creative as we are, to be this unable to make vocations yep. that minister to the soul, not just the bank account, yep truly shows a bankruptcy of, of creativity and and spiritual um, spiritual innovation yep. you know within within our culture I totally 100% agree and the other thing is you know the majority of society is missing their joy they're seeking that um, fix of joy and happiness and fulfillment and they're looking in all the wrong places for it. They're looking for that quick fix because it, we're at such a fast pace. And they're looking for Netflix and all those things you mentioned to fill that void. When what they're really missing is just sitting down, spending some time with God and and having a good creative time outside. I, I even, I've had this happen to myself where we're so busy that when I finally have a spare minute to do something for myself, I sit there and I'm kind of dumbstruck as to what to go for and what to do because there's so many things that I could be doing. So I think society today is caught in this overwhelmed state of of mind and and they're missing out on all the best parts of life. You know, the, the simplicity oh, of being outside yeah. and, and like you said too in yeah, your I mean, book the- about watching a, a calf being born, you know, we've, we've, um, raise goats here and chickens and our chickens are free ranging but to see the goats being born and to nurture animals you know there's just all that stuff just even just going for a walk in the woods you know so many people just walk and they miss the simple things that are around them and it just blows me away I, I just feel for our culture because I know what they're missing out on in their, and they just miss the best parts of life yeah, well, the, the the wonder, the wonder and the awesomeness of having a real deep um, appreciation that, there, that that there's more to things than me. Mm-hmm. We yeah, uh, we we have just with especially now with our electronic electronic gadgetry. Yes, um, you know we're we're struggling with this thinking that what I can control the world with this little gadget, you know, right. <laughs> I can control my happiness, I control my affirmation, I control uh, my destiny, yeah. uh, I just have to push these buttons, and and the fact is that the world, life, uh, everything is, is far bigger than that, yeah. and, um, and we can easily get kind of drunk on our own hubris. Yeah. Uh, when we don't come away for a for for a Sabbath, um, yeah. for, for a Sabbath of renewal, rest, and um, 
re-examination yep. of where we are, and and that and that takes that takes an off button. Yeah, you know, we yeah. we we all, we all need an off button. Yeah. And you know they, they say they say that um, that there's two characteristics of geniuses. Everybody who's ever been a genius, a they they do a lot of walking, mm-hmm. and b they spend a lot of time in quiet by themselves. Yep. And those two things, walking and spending time by yourself, um, those two things are characteristic yep. of farmers. Yeah. And this is one reason why farmers tend to have more common sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, yep. uh, as a rule, you know, uh, farmers tend to have a little more whatever uh, uh, reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 you, you can, not to get all political, but but you can you can even see it in in voting demographics. You know, the red and blue, and yep. and the, the the rural tends to be uh, tends to be red, and the urban tends to be blue. Yep. And uh, and you can see that whole divide in thought process uh, yep. demographically, even you know, with elections and things. Yep, yep. And that you you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's it's so true. Um, and I I agree with your sentiments that farmers are are that way. And I believe that probably the homesteaders and the off gridders are in the same boat. I have actually made it a point this year to just pause multiple times throughout my day, regardless how busy I am, regardless how much pressure I have, because a lot of my work tends to be in my office um, at times throughout the year. So even though I'm outside a lot too, um, I get stuck in what I call my she cave and I want to get out of here. So I, I go out and I'll take the dogs for a walk or I'll go for a walk. And that quiet time is just so renewing. And I'm actually doing a 30 days of uh, gratefully prepared challenge on uh, my Facebook page and on YouTube right now because I feel that when people are more grateful too and they're seeing their surroundings, they're taking time for themselves, they're doing the walking and they're doing the quiet time, that they are able to think better, clear, just like you said. So I'm challenging them to be more grateful and walk around with their eyes open and also to to see how it helps them to learn better and and be more prepared because like you were saying you know so many so many people are so glued into their equipment and so glued into their pace and keeping up with the joneses in society that our fear you know with how we teach is that you know if anything were to ever happen and the food supply was to go away or you know their modern conveniences were to disappear there'd be a lot of you know awestruck and disabled people <laughs> and you know that as well yeah, as i well, do as, as west jackson says in altars of unhewn stone he says he says uh you know rather than being an information explosion time we're actually in an information implosion time yeah and uh i just did a i just did a uh, an in-house uh, seminar for a college down in kentucky awesome and i had um Oh, I had 20, 22 students there in the class. These were upper level. This is a college, okay? And, okay. and um, I asked them, can anybody tell me what a heifer is? <laughs> Nobody. Wow, seriously? And one, <laughs> w- w- one, one guy finally timidly said, is it like a cow? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, of course, and, and then, so I said, well, well, maybe, you know, chickens are... are are more you know prolific 
Uh, can anybody tell me what a pullet is? <laughs> nobody, nobody would even hazard a guess on that one. Oh my goodness! And 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 so I I just made the point. And, and I, you know, how many of you know the the names of the Kardashian sisters? Well, everybody knows the names of the Kardashian sisters. <laughs> and so I I just used that as a, a a quick example to help them to understand wow. that terminology that their grandparents that the ubiquitous in the culture for their grandparents not that long ago is now a foreign language. Yeah. To us, wow. and we have we have inverted, we have inverted this this foundational life nomenclature for a fantasy celebrity yeah. uh, cult. Yep. yep, and it's and 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 we think you know we think we're real smart. You know we think we're getting smarter. We pull out our smartphones, you know, and we you know we we think we're incredibly smart. We got the world at our fingertips. But actually, when it comes to the to the essence of life, yeah. we've actually lost wisdom, even the terminology, the words yep. wow. of our of our grandparents. Yep, yep. And it's sad. And that, should, that should give us all pause. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's who, sad. Who, you know, who who can tell me? You go to college, you know, who knows how to make. What do, you, what do you do to make butter? Right. You know, right. most of them are still butter. Ooh, that's, who would want to eat butter? I'm going to eat, mm. you know, hydrogenated vegetable oil. That's Ex- another discussion. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, exactly. You know, these, 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 uh, these things, I mean, look, I would much rather, I would much rather go through a shock or a disturbance with somebody who knew how to grow a tomato than somebody who's the top points getter on Angry Birds. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, you just showed me how uncultured I am because I don't know. I know of the Kardashians, but I don't know anything more than that. So I'm a little uncultured, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm cultured. I feel in the right things. That stuff has no interest to me whatsoever. And And, you know... Us out here, we're off-grid, and we've actually been experiencing some struggles with our solar. We've had our equipment for seven years, and once the sun is off of our panels, we've been experiencing problems where our batteries are not holding the power. And we either shut down, we put our house to sleep, or we run the generator. And because we're frugal, we just have been shutting the house down. So... You know, and I realize how addicted I am, but I'm researching things. I'm looking things up on the internet that are wholesome, but even so, I'm realizing what, how much I'm addicted to my equipment. So, you know, to know what other people would, you know, how they would feel if, if the grid went down or whatever, you know, once those machines are out of their hand, they're dumb. They have nothing left. And I, I just, I, you know, that's why we educate the way we do and and eat and live the way we do and I know that's the same for you you know like you were saying the butter you know we eat all non-gmo all from scratch food and as much as we can raise can preserve harvest you know and 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 gather from the wild so you know we're on the same page and that's what we're trying to help open the eyes of others to kind of get on the same same avenue at least to some degree so that they're feeding they know what they're feeding their families but also so they know the skills right 
to move forward. You know, we feel that the traditional skills that we use and that you use, and, and gr- granted, neither one of us are cave people, but the skills that we use here that are often very traditional or even sometimes primitive, depending on what we do or what's going to carry us into the future, you know, regardless what we're thrown. And... And that's what we're trying to share with others as well. So I am just awed at, at the the path you are on and the educating that you are doing. Um, and folks, for those of you joining today, Joel is often in a lot of the varying summits that are out there online. And I encourage you to check him out when he's out there. His, his classes are always very good. And honestly, all the materials that Joel puts out there are just, they're, 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 dead on and and you need to educate yourself through Joel because he's really a man of wisdom. But Joel, do you want to talk about some of your books? I can, but I want to I want to add, add one little tidbit Abs- on the end of this discussion because Absolutely. I think I think it's uh it's one of the most overlooked parts of this and okay. that is uh, that um I I think that if there is there are a couple of words that really characterize our culture right now, where we're headed. Okay. Yeah, talk to the average person on the street. Uh, one is, you know, a lack of trust, mistrust. I mean, this is this is why yeah. this is why Trump got elected and Hillary didn't, right? Right. Um, and, and I'm just, I, I'm, yes. yeah, I'm not a fan of Trump, but all I'm saying is that that there is a there's a profound lack of trust, yes. uh, basically, in anything or anyone in our culture today. Yeah. And and essentially, the, the bigger the entity, the, the more the lack of trust. Right. But the second thing that's happened is since since we have um, since we have abandoned of of this of this what I call li- basic life skill. Yeah. Now we're so ignorant about it. What's the what's the the automatic uh, result of ignorance. The automatic result of ignorance is fear. We fear the unknown. We always fear the unknown. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we have people walking around in mistrust, yep. and, and which fast moves to paranoia. And so, mm-hmm. what I what I like to encourage people to understand is, you can't you can't Google experience. You can't just you know Google up. You can't Google skill. You can't you can't Google mastery. Um, but 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 you can you can develop mastery off the bleachers and coming down out of your bunker and participating yeah. in things, and that will move you from a place of fear to a place of faith. Yeah. And suddenly, when you start getting knowledge about how to make butter and how to can green beans and how to dehydrate jerky. And, and, and these, these very, very basic life skills, yeah. it moves you um, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually from this place of, of, of fear paralysis yeah. to a place of faith activity. Yeah. And, and that, 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 that's a, who doesn't want to go there? Exactly. <laughs> who, who doesn't want? Who wants to be stuck? Exactly. Who wants to be stuck in a in a paralyzed fear uh, position? Right. Um, and and I think I think anybody who's sane and mentally competent would say, no, I I'd rather be in a proactive, Ugh. you know, faith based, <laughs> let's go activity activity kind of position. Yep. And what that means is 
that you can't you can't get to that position continuing to do and be everything you're doing and being. You, if you want a different outcome in your life, you have to change what you're doing every day. Yeah. And that means learning something, doing something, going somewhere, reading something different, participating in something different. And sure enough, all that little incremental uh, knowledge is going to make you um, less fearful. Yeah. You will develop core competency, core competency in things right now that you're. We we have customers that call us, and, and they're scared. They're scared to thaw a chicken in the sink. Is this chicken going to get salmonella <laughs> in the sink? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And <laughs> and it's it's just it's just incredible to me. Yeah. Um, how how little how little faith people have that that the the actual the, the, the provision mm-hmm. the creator's provision in a system yeah you know, it it actually works pretty pretty well mm-hmm. and um and the and the more you observe it and get to you know participate in it the more awesome it gets and the more respect the more respectful you come yeah. at how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. Oh, I am so glad you added that portion. That is so, so true and such an awesome, uh, just very well put. Um, that is so, so true. Cause like when I'm, when I'm teaching people how to can, people are so afraid of the alien pressure canner, you know, and so afraid to touch <laughs> it's it. It's going to explode. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> And that's so true because one of the things I I coined the phrase on one of our photos last year, you know, that the best parts of our life are on the other side of fear and that stretching out of our comfort zone is what will put us there, you know, in that place of comfort and and place of, you know, growth. And and that is so true and I and just the way you worded that that is just so priceless and that's that's what we encourage too, you know. And there's so many fearful people, and I never really thought about it that that fear, you know, just continues to to go into paranoia. And but it's like being stuck in concrete blocks or in concrete, you know. They just are so afraid to take on that next yeah. opportunity. And you know what, folks? Failure is part of learning. You know, um, Einstein and and all the great people that you know uh, created things in this world went through so many levels of failure before they got it right. So as you fail doing things, you know, chalk it up to learning. Don't turn around and walk away. Push on because there's nothing better than homemade butter or yogurt or any of that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. an amazing process. And to get there and be proud yeah. of yourself that you've reached a yeah, new the, level. The, 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 yeah, the basketball superstar, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, says, said that every basket that he made in a game of, of 10,000 he missed in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe that's just it, you know, and I don't... My husband and I are, are, are fearless. It's just we dive in. We're embracers. We just do it. And, you know, we try not to intimidate people when we're training, but that's just how we are. And, it's, and I, 
honestly would not want to be any other way because we've experienced such amazing things in our life. And if we weren't like that, we wouldn't even be living the way we are. So I'm just so excited to be that way, but at the same time, don't want to intimidate others, but certainly do want to encourage them all the time to take those baby steps. And that's, and that's just it. A lot of people dive in too, and they want to do it all. And then they get themselves overwhelmed. And the key is just doing like Joel said, is just, you know, taking those baby steps every day and learning something new. And focusing on a way to learn something new, whether you learn best from videos or reading or whatever the source may be, right. there's so much out there to learn. Yeah, and and uh, and to real to realize that our technologically advanced society <laughs> actually ecologically militates against uh, against, as you said, just jumping in and, and trying something yeah. because. All of our, you know, uh, your your laptop computer or your smartphone, it every single function on that requires a certain set of steps to make that function happen. And so, part of the, you know, part of the uh, the the psychology of being a technician, a technician uh, means that you have to do it the same way every single time in order to say to get the the same uh, response. Right. And so in our in our in our highly technical uh, technical world um, we we we're almost uh, you know brain whatever brain programmed and disadvantaged <laughs> yep. to to embrace uh, jumping off a cliff. Yeah. But but things that are not technical like you know hoeing weeds in the green beans for example there's a lot of different ways to approach that you know with the with the hoe how you handle it uh what kind of hoe all those and and uh so being not being a computer um you know technique technique can be as different as individuals doing the hoeing and still get pretty good results right but you can't but you can't be that diverse in the number, in the way you punch the buttons on your laptop to get the same result, you can't. You, right, right, right. <laughs> we, we, we tell our we tell our interns and apprentices, we want you to be innovative. We want you to be uh, clever, but being innovative on where to hang the tools in the shop is not where we want you to be innovative. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And just being brave enough. If you're innovative where to hang the tools in the shop pretty soon, we won't have any tools. (laughs) Exactly. And just being brave enough to pick the hoe up and start using it. You know, we'd rather see you using it than worrying about whether you're using the right technique also, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so now we can can talk about books. Oh, sure. (laughs) That was good. I'm really glad you added that, Joel. Very important. <laughs> so uh, I don't know oh, uh, which ones. I mean, I've, ri- I've written twelve. Okay. Uh, the one of the last ones was a children's book, uh, Patrick's Great Grass Adventure, with Greg, Greg the Grass Farmer that I wrote with my uh, daughter Rachel. I-, I wrote it. She did the illustrations. Oh, awesome! And um, <laughs> the first children's book that we've had. The last one I did uh, that's been out for about two months is uh, Your Successful Farm Business. And uh, it's all about the business aspects of um, of, of successful farming. And, I, and look, I'm the biggest fan of hobbyists and weekenders and part timers. That's great. But I, my heart 
my heart is what I want. I want successful full-time farmers. I don't want people to have to commute to town to stay on their farm. I want people to be able to make a living on their farm. Good for you. Even even a small farm. Uh, It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be big. Yeah. And there are people who have done it. You know, Elliot Elliot Coleman did it. Uh, We did it. Uh, Jean Martin Fortier has done it. Uh, What's the couple with the Lean Farm? They've done it. Uh, Singing Frogs Farm has done it in Petaluma. Uh, I mean, there's. I mean, I start naming names. And there's a, a, a bunch, but but it, but the, but the the fact that I'm even thinking in terms of being able to name the people who have done it. Right. There's not enough of them. How seldom it actually gets done. Right. And and so um, so I wrote I wrote this book to to kind of deal with the all those business people relationships marketing all those those kind of uh, uh, thorny issues of farming. All of us love to grow tomatoes. You know, but very few of us like to look at the P and L statement to see whether the tomatoes this month actually made any money. Right. Um, and and right. boy, I, no, no, nobody hates money more than me. I mean, I'd like to go back to, to you know seashells and wampum would be <laughs> fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, but but we don't we don't live in that we don't live in that context. You know, and uh, so we we live in a, we live in a cash based society, and so we have to think about cash right right well and I think it's great what you're doing as well because you know one of the things you mentioned in the book I'm reading is that you know you're not worried about competition you're worried about everybody getting to the top together and that is huge because you're willing to share your knowledge on how you've succeeded where you know in our society today that doesn't always happen and your goal is so rich Um, you know people it's a shame. We grew up in farming country in Pennsylvania. And, you know, to go back there now and see the lack of farms and the struggles the farmers are having, you know, it's just sad. And, and we grew up on in a place where, like you said, there were farmers markets all over the place. And thankfully, back there in our in our stomping ground, you know, there's still a lot of farmers markets. And that's one thing that we really miss being where we are now in Idaho is that that they're they're just not readily available, and same with the butcher shops that are providing good grass fed meats and no hormones. It's just hard to find that stuff here where we are, so, like you said, we need to do that, and you know we would be considered hobby farmers. we don't have a lot of land, but you know we could still learn from your book and still gain you know in in the avenues that are out there, so I'm anxious myself to read that book just to see you know what I can gain. I'm a sponge for knowledge, so that that's me but but I think it's great that you're you're reaching <laughs> yeah, out yeah so and, and yeah and of course there there are there are numerous uh, i mean you you you've talked here a lot about folks this ain't normal that's a broader cultural book. Uh, you may have seen Marvelous Pigness, the Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. That's yep. that's my that's my uh, I call that my coming out book. That's a <laughs> that's basically creation stewardship for the faith community, awesome. which I think has really lagged behind on you know on on embracing uh, creation. Uh, I call it creation stewardship rather than environmental stewardship because environmental stewardship has pretty much been you know co opted by the. You know the, the creation worshiping uh, right. crowd, right. and uh, so I, I use um, I use uh, creation stewardship yep. just to you know uh, create a little bit of you know um, distance there. Yeah, and um, uh, so you know that that one obviously is is not a how to; it's a much more uh, broad cultural. But okay. 
before then was uh, fields, you know, fields of farmers. Uh, you know that that deals with with the multi generational, successional. How do you how do you create uh, business relationships that are not employees but are, are shared stakeholders? We call them fiefdoms. Right. Um, and and so you know that's about the people aspect. Of course, you know then there's the old classic: you can farm. Okay. Um, how to start start succeeding your farming enterprise? You know that's been the that's been the big one, yeah. um, and and then there's you know there's uh, salad bar beef, pastured poultry profits, family friendly farming, um, holy cows and hog heaven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the sheer my my soul book I call my soul book is the sheer ecstasy of being a lunatic farmer, <laughs> and um, you know I, I wrote that one. There's a lot of humor, a lot of humor in that one, but it's it I call it my soul book because when people ask me, oh come on. A farmer is a farmer. You know, what's the difference between one farmer and another one? No. Well, you read that book and you'll find out it's not just one farmer is a farmer. Oh. Is a farmer. <laughs> uh, there's there's good farmers, there's bad farmers. There are farmers that heal and farmers that harm. Right. It's been that way from the beginning of time. It'll right. continue to be that way. Yep. Yep. And so and so, um, rather than being upset that so many of the you know orthodox farmers call me a, a lunatic. I just embrace it, smile, and turn it into a you know, to a fun thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of them there. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's an awesome choice to turn the negative into the positive and just have fun with it. And and it's so true because you know I I really uh, respect what you do because our our soil and our land is being so completely harmed and after being um, so ill last year and on the healing side of things, you know, I cannot have anything with a GMO in it or I get deathly ill. It's just awful. And you know, to know what I know and, and trying to, you know, share that to people, but people aren't willing to give things up. You know, they have their, their, you know, cheese its and, you know, all that processed food that they're going after and to, to know what it's doing to the body and then to also know what the chemicals are doing to the land. So I really respect what you're doing in pushing that and to know that you did it without, you know, government help and, and that you've been just really working hard and then to share all your information is priceless. So I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. There's some people, some people don't appreciate it, but uh, it's it's fun. To, it's fun to talk to the choir that does. <laughs> I'm sure, and I'm sure you get a lot of slack. But you know what? Keep doing what you're doing. And you know, I always look at it this way: when we catch adversity here and we're struggling, that's just the enemy trying to knock our feet out from under us because we're on the right track. So I just look at that as a positive too, and just keep moving forward because we just feel led to do what we do. And I know you feel the same way. And I, I look forward yes, to tapping yes. into all your books and really uh, learning and gaining from you. But before I forget, I wanted to mention to my audience that they can find uh, you, Joel, at polyfacefarms.com. You'll find all the um, links in the show notes as well, folks. But you can also find all his books by quickly going to treyerwilderness.com slash Joel Salatin. And it's S-A-L-A-T-I-N. And I encourage you to check out his books. They're very enlightening. And like I said, there's so many people with their head in the sand. It's really important for us to know what's going on with our food supply because that is one of our, something that should be a big concern to everybody. And and trying to get things back to where they were to some degree that we have control over our food 
and are not just left to eat garbage and that that's all that's left. So again, Joel, thank you for all that you do. This has been really wonderful chatting with you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Do you have any last words thank, that you would you. like to share with the audience? Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's been delightful. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we could, I think if you gave the two of us enough time, we could probably just about solve most of the world's problems. <laughs> no, this has been very fun. This has been very, very fun. And um, do you have any words of encouragement for my audience? Uh, my encouragement is always just to, to, to persist. I always tell people, hey, so what's the secret of your success? Look, you know, we're not smarter than anybody else. You know, we're not better we're not more gifted uh but what we are is stubborn and we persist and <laughs> yeah. we and we and we stay with it uh you know the peter, the peter drucker uh, learning curve you know where you come in with your fantasy and then you go into the slow of despond you know because things aren't things aren't like you thought it's kind of you know the honeymoon and then oh wow you know he squeezes his toothpaste or whatever um <laughs> So then you go into this, this, you know, this downtime, but then if you'll stay with it, if you'll stay, that lasts usually about three to five years. If you'll stay with it, then, you know, you'll come up the other side and, and things will, things will really take off. And, and the problem is that most people, most people quit yep. right before the breakthrough, right before they, they develop the skill set to, to develop mastery. Yep. And you said it so well, you know, about failure. Look, the opposite, the opposite of failure, the opposite of success, I'm sorry, the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is quitting. Yeah. Everyone who's been successful has failed just as much as everyone else except the last time. Yeah. And that's what separates the successful from the unsuccessful is that you got up that one last time and dusted yourself off and went on. Yeah. And so my, my message is always just stay with it. Now, it might mean that you, you know, obviously you're learning and you're refining and you're tweaking, but stay with it. Don't quit. And it's always darkest right before the dawn. Yeah. Oh, amen. That was awesome and very true. So very true. So very true. Well, Joel, I thank you so, so much for joining me today and everyone thanks for joining in and listening and like I mentioned earlier in the show please share this with everybody and uh, we will be back on again next Friday so in the meantime you guys have a wonderful week and God bless you're listening to the Mountain Woman Radio Show where you will learn something new every week we hope you enjoyed the show and encourage you to join us at treyerwilderness.com And be sure to connect with us on iTunes. Remember, your reviews on iTunes are very important to us and help us reach more people just like you. 